Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we will be covering a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers currently studying at the University of Sussex. This is episode 5, The Connected World. Last episode, we discussed data privacy. Be sure to check out that episode and others after this. You may be able to hear a slight difference in audio quality this week. That is due to the coronavirus crisis currently ongoing at the time of recording. Therefore, we can't be recording together at the university, but we're doing our best to keep the show as normal as possible. Indeed, we've both got little home setups and we're talking to each other over a video call. Right, to begin, what is the Internet of Things? Yes, it's a sort of strange word, isn't it? We all it, know it what is. the internet is, we all know what things are, but what is the internet of things? I've, I've always, I've had a lot of discussions with people about it, and I don't really know why, um, but people always think it's weird, because they don't, they either assume the internet is just an intrinsic part of a thing, or it's absolutely not related to it. So when you try and kind of blur that line, people get very confused. Yeah, yeah, and it's a strange kind of concept. I mean, the internet is a kind of sort of abstract concept anyway really everyone sort of knows what it is but no one really knows what it is i think yeah everyone defines Um, it differently in and itself and it's changed so much yeah exactly and it's i mean it's revolutionized the world and that's what people some people are saying is going to be the thing with internet of things (laughs) so yes the the internet of things is basically just connecting things rather than people yeah um You've got a few quotes that you've added in here. Care to read? I've added a few quotes, yeah. So, um, basically, the internet of people is the internet that we all sort of know and use for this call, for example, or probably, I guess, the podcast network that you're listening to this on. Yeah, this podcast is part of the internet of people. Yeah, exactly. And a guy called Benson Howland, uh, he said that it was created by people, for people, and about people, which makes sense because it's kind of yeah the internet was made to connect people to share information between people and yeah that's what we use it for that's what we use it part of our lives completely now whereas the internet of things is yeah it's it's about connecting devices to one another without the human input basically yeah, it, it, it's it's the epitome of smart devices as we describe them and kind of how they get described in marketing for like Apple these days. Yeah, and it kind of covers everything from your smartphone, which is able to, you know, connect to your Wi-Fi and then connect to your speakers or even connect to your watch, which is tracking your health data and that kind of communication between all those things all the way up to larger scale things like I don't know, planes connecting to each other yeah. to be able to inform them about different flight conditions, all that sort of stuff. So it works with just, you know, mechanical and digital connections between different devices so that they can transfer data to each other. It's literally doing what humans would otherwise do between things, uh, doing it itself so they can speak to each other. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And for the most part, it works over kind of Wi-Fi or data, using the cloud, using the internet, using web servers. Uh, it can be Bluetooth, though. I don't think that necessarily is excluded. Well, no, I wouldn't have thought so. I feel like Bluetooth's a fairly pretty standard 
way mm. of using it. Maybe that's on the smaller scale, I suppose. A, a lot of um, more kind of modern adaptations, just, you know, like your smart home, all of that is connecting to the internet as opposed to a local or Bluetooth setup of some description. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I said, this, this internet of things kind of goes between so many different levels from your individual home to even the individual person's technology all the way up to whole cities basically yeah the, the way it's applied really really varies and similarly like in some ways it gets limited by how it's being applied because um certain technologies that it relies on within the internet can often be restricted on like enterprise levels um, so I often I found with university last year I was living at university and there were many Internet of Things and devices that I had that I kind of wanted to use that I couldn't simply because of the way that the internet was set up. So it's really become, I guess it's built a discrepancy between people using it for personal use at home and people using it in like large scale enterprise situations and the in between has kind of been erased. Yeah, yeah. So I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I remember when I was in halls at university you, some things you know you can't really set up a smart speaker exactly anyone can access it or even a wi-fi printer anyone can access it if you set it up on on a sort of yeah so as we network. as we go through this you'll see kind of we talk about really really personal aspects of it and then huge kind of government-wide movements and there's really nothing in between oh yeah it, it's it's all-encompassing yeah, and it, it it really dates back quite a long way. The the first sort of idea of Internet of Things being a thing apparently was around two thousand and eight when there was more devices accessing the internet than people. Was it that early that that happened? Apparently, this is what I found through my research, at least anyway. Um, okay, wow. But even, I mean, this isn't relating necessarily just to the Internet of Things, but a guy called Mark Weiser in nineteen ninety one had said that the most profound technologies are those that disappear. They weave themselves into the fabric of everyday life until they are indistinguishable from it. Which is sort of what this Internet of Things is about, because it's about the technology being able to do stuff and communicate without the human input having to tell them to do it. So it becomes and just There was a quote from someone that said that like one's phone has kind of become an extension of themselves. And I think that's very true to kind of argue that the technologies that we use the most just become a part of life and you don't really think of them as a separate thing anymore. Yeah. I don't think, I think phones in particular, especially yeah. have become so much that, you know, if you just, you're out and about and you think, Oh, I need to, oh, where, where am I going now? You just automatically pull your phone out and get the maps open. You don't even think, Oh, how am I going to work out where I need to go? You just do it. If we actually take this podcast right now. So obviously we're both using laptops but we're not thinking about, oh yeah, I'm recording this podcast on a laptop. No, it's I'm recording this podcast on Audacity with a microphone talking to you on Discord using Google Docs. And those are the technologies. In yeah. many ways, we've just kind of cut out what is really the core to all of it because it's just a given. And I find it really surprising that that happened so early on as 2008. Yeah, I think I think it's quite mad to think. I mean, some of these technologies that they're talking about in these senses are really, really small things. Like, even just as simple as a light sensor telling you when to, telling it when to turn on, basically. Like, that, 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 does that count, counts. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, in my 
my parents' house here where I am, you know, we have lamps that are set up to come on at certain times. It's Ooh, a sort of cool. security thing, but also just a sort of laziness thing, I suppose. <laughs> we don't have that. Uh, I did have a little... We had a set of smart plugs at one point that we, like, went to, especially over Christmas, we'd connect them to the Christmas tree so that it would turn off automatically at night because uh, we'd evidently forget. And then in the morning, come, like... 8am just before we all got up it would turn back on so you kind of had that like seamless experience which is kind of cool just random use of it but that was always a kind of hallmark of our winter season was setting that up yeah we had we do something similar with outside christmas lights sort of set up on a timer Ooh, we never did outside christmas lights we just have little icicles you know Ooh. so if you're confused uh we should probably cover some current applications of iot where it is right now what's it what it's doing yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Um, obviously, we sort of mentioned a little bit there, but this all kind of links into this whole smart home system, really. That's probably one of the biggest sort of personal uses, I suppose, of Internet of Things at the moment. And you see a lot of control of this from people like Google, the Google Home system. Definitely. I think it's been pioneered by like Google and their Google Home, Amazon and Alexa. Sorry if we just enabled your devices there. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, but these, these simple devices basically become the little sort of hub of your home. So you can get them to change the heating temperature on your thermostat, which is connected through your sort of Wi-Fi, I suppose, probably in your home. Or you can get it to dim the lights or change the volume on your music. It's all these little things that sort of... I suppose they're not... They're not necessarily chores in a sense, but they're just these little things that if we don't have to do them, we'd probably rather not do them. Exactly. Although it can go from like that, which is fairly normal, to a level of ridiculousness when, you know, you say good morning to your voice assistant and not only does it kind of read the news and turn on your lights, that's fine, but it also like turns the kettle on downstairs so that by the time you've walked down the stairs, you've got hot tea. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some people using it like that. There's a fine line between what's, like, normal and understandable and what is still weird. But is it only weird because it's new and because it's different, or is it weird because it's just not good? I mean, I think there must be a line somewhere where it's too much. But I think just being able to get the kettle to be turned on, I don't think that's that weird. It is just a bit alien to us. I mean, I was actually... I've only just thought of this now, but I was actually watching Iron Man yesterday. Okay. Um, and obviously, in Iron Man, he has his Jarvis system, which basically does everything for him. And actually, that is basically a sort of superhero mad version of an Internet of Things. It is. Uh, go watch Iron Man if you'd like inspiration. <laughs> and um, yeah. Is there an element of that that's going too far? Because, like, personally, as a kid, I remember watching this, and I felt sort of that way yesterday watching it, is that actually... I think it's kind of cool that he can just go, oh, Jarvis, do this, do this, do that, and he does it. Now, obviously, our current smart systems are not really to that level because they don't quite get the personal elements. They will one day, though. Of it. but we'll, Yeah, but they probably will one day. And do we get to all feel like Tony Stark? Maybe? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, I think one of the places where they do get applied and where they probably shouldn't be, though, is in security. So the classic here is having a smart lock on your door. 
Now, while it's all great to be able to, you know, check your lock from afar and lock your door or unlock it if someone's coming with your mail, it's also very suddenly hackable. And now, of course, there's hacking in the classic term of clickety-clack typing on your keyboard and bypassing the mainframe. But one of the early smart lock bypasses that got big was literally just going up to an open window and screaming to your you know, voice assistant name of choice, open the front door, and it would do it. I'd never even thought of that. There were quite a few reported cases. There were some reported cases of that happening in the US before they all kind of caught up to how ridiculous it all was. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I'd not even thought of being able to do that, just going and shouting. I would feel so terrible if I was robbed because someone just managed to shout at, you know, my little kind of electronic friend. Yeah. So smart locks, security systems, you know, of course they can work with systems, but when you're tying them into a public internet network, you're opening vulnerabilities. Yeah. And I mean, I think I was going to mention this a bit later on, but I'll bring it up now is, you know, there's that whole element of if you're tying all these networks together, then obviously, yeah, having a smart lock I mean, I feel like that's a bit too far, but maybe for some people that is useful. Depends maybe on how your housing situation is, I suppose. But if that smart lock is then tied into this whole network of things, which is also maybe running your smart fridge, if the smart fridge's security is not very good, even if the company that's done this smart lock has got good security on that, if the security on your smart fridge is not so great someone can hack into that and then hack in further i did a um project last year at uni on this and one of the kind of things i cited was a medical firm that had all of their data like ransomware so basically someone came in locked it all up and said pay us or you'll get it back and the intrusion came through the coffee machine <laughs> This is a multi-million dollar US firm. I don't remember the name of it. They were intruded through their coffee machine. Wow. Billions in damages. It was... So that's the risk. If you don't treat it with the kind of respect and caution that it deserves. On a lighter note, though, also what is technically a part of Internet of Things that we probably don't consider it anymore because it's so ubiquitous is wearable technology. So your Apple Watch, your Fitbit, all of those, that's technically the Internet of Things. And wearables have already become a kind of commonplace, okay, that's cool type thing. So why is it that they're just so common there on your person, but less so at home? Yeah, that's true, actually. I'm not talking about... I mean, yeah, the Fitbits, obviously... There's some of those sort of um, bands and wearables as well that can even... I'd seen something where I think it might have been a custom-made system, but someone had a, a a wristband that could detect when they're in the right sort of sleep phase to wake them up nicely. And when mm. it did that, it then activated their lamp to turn on and to turn their heating on to a certain temperature to kind of get the house ready. Yeah, you can do that with a Fitbit. Yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of kind of mad to think that you can literally have this thing on your wrist which just detects your pulses and where you are in your sleep cycle and it can then activate basically your entire house. I would love to automate my heat so it turns on in the morning because it's always very cold when I wake up. 
Uh, I don't think my <laughs> landlord would appreciate me screwing with their cables, though. No, possibly not. I, that's actually where this sort of stuff might fall short as well. You know, a lot of this stuff does require some modifications to your house, so maybe it's only really accessible to homeowners. That's a very good point. It kind of restricts it to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's these systems such as your Jarvis assistant um, that most of the time I just plug into a power socket and go sort of thing. Um, but to connect those sort of things up to lights and all that sort of stuff, yeah, it's going to require a yeah. bit more. Smart lights could could possibly be an in-between, but the second you want a smart thermostat or smart appliances, you're going to really struggle or have to spend a lot of money. Yeah, or have to... So that's restrictive. ...really play up to the, your landlord. <laughs> exactly. Now, where um, current IoT is incredibly open is with If This Then That, or ifttt.com, which is one of my favourite URLs. And essentially, it just works off the really simple concept of if something happens, then do something else. So it's an open platform, it connects to millions of services, and it lets anyone for free create an account and write these really, really simple scripts. So I've got one, for example, where if I tell my voice assistant to add something to its reminders, it will also add it to the reminders app on my phone. Huh. Now that seems kind of trivial, but because they're not made by this, I've got one by Amazon and I've got an iPhone, that solves that problem. Similarly, you can set it up to send you a text message every time the International Space Station flies over your head. That's quite oh, cool. Oh, that is quite cool, actually. It is. I've done that before. Um, I actually helped teach a class of, like, 12, 13-year-olds, and a lot of them didn't have phones, obviously. So I was like, oh, you just use mine. And then for the next three weeks, I was just getting millions of texts because <laughs> it basically duplicated it for each student. Anyway, so if this and that really opens up your ability to really do anything, and it's a good step if you want to get into it, um, internet of things and you don't want to spend money it's a great way to do it i've seen it used in simply to the simplest level of like if you post an image on instagram post it on twitter as well so there's there's a lot you can do with their services and that's really one platform around which the internet of things has really developed because all of these separate companies trying to drive innovation don't work together and this is the unifying kind of place. Yeah, well, as, yeah, because I suppose a lot of these companies, because the way this Internet of Things stuff works, is it's a whole connectivity of everything. All these companies are trying to kind of get a monopoly on it, so that they're just, yeah, this device works with any of our other devices, but not any of their devices, sort of thing. So exactly. you kind of do need these other places. I mean, I, as you're saying that, I was also remembering that it's either the latest iOS or the or one of the more recent iOSs, they added the shortcuts app to your phones and stuff, yes. which basically does the same sort of thing. You can set up this whole connectivity to say, when I do this, do that and do that and do that, which is quite handy. Yeah, short shortcuts was a step. It's kind of more of a scripting service within Apple's ecosystem. But yeah, uh, one of the examples that I realized that I did have also saved is anytime I like a video on YouTube, the music playing in that video gets added to a Spotify playlist of mine. Huh. That's quite fun. Um, you can, you can do a lot with it. It's it's very yeah. Cool. I've never heard of this so software, but it sounds quite yeah. Flexible. You, sh you should take a look at it. There's so much you can do, and it's all open and freely available. If you don't want to use Spotify, you could go to the Twitter section to say, 
and that will let you tweet or automatically change your profile picture on Twitter when you change it on Facebook. Those kind of things. Yeah, and it just it's just tying these otherwise mutually exclusive companies <laughs> sort of together, I suppose. Exactly. Automatically post on Twitter when you like a video on YouTube. That's a classic. A lot of people have that one. Oh, is that how people do it? I've seen that. Anyway, so moving on, that's kind of it. And what does that mean for the future? I, there's a lot of possibilities for this. As we've said before, it could go too far, but there's also an element of it that it takes some time to sort of settle into being what's normal. Because if you if you went back 30 years and you know told people that because there's a pandemic, everyone's doing everything online and all their meetings through video calls, they'd have been like, what? You can't do that. How that this can't work. But I mean, we're, have, we're currently having to prove that it can work. And because we're all used to these technologies, yes. it doesn't seem that alien to us. Although the economy is still crashing. The economy but... is crashing. Well, let's not worry about that. It's depressing. Let's not. <laughs> so what does it mean for the future? Well, this is active proof that it works and people are going to embrace it more and more. Obviously, some places are going to go too far with it, but most won't. Yeah, it's... And there's definitely... There's certain industries where there's clear benefits to using it. Um, For sure. You know, getting these smart cities and smart agriculture going is... It's going to revolutionise, you know, the way we live. And especially when... The, you know the population on our planet is growing and growing and growing and we're struggling to feed everyone i suppose being able to be more efficient in our farms because we're literally monitoring the water levels the soil acidity you know where needs specific water and not wasting water because the whole system knows exactly what's going on these sort of things become quite important when you take them up to a bigger scale yeah are there any technologies that you think could specifically grow or develop from the emergence of the Internet of Things? There's got to be some. I mean, I wonder if... One of the things that I find really interesting about this whole Internet of Things stuff, and we sort of mentioned on it a little bit in our electric vehicles uh, episode, is the whole idea of making the whole transport network more interconnected. So you could sort of leave your house and maybe check your phone to see how you're getting to work or how you're getting to this and that. And because all the transport network is interconnected, it can know that you're trying to get somewhere, which means that it can manage how many people are on that route, same route as you. And it can then, you know, control, okay, well, if we've got too many people trying to go down this road and this road cannot, you know, have that many people on this, it's going to cause a traffic jam. It can start routing some people who are maybe not so necessarily needing to be on that road down other routes to clear up traffic. Thank you for bringing that up, actually, because I think it raises the big point of what I was thinking, is that the Internet of Things is going to become more social. Yeah, I suppose. At the moment, it's very personal. It's, you know, you do it for your own smart device, for your phone, for your own technologies and getting everything to work for you. And I don't think there's a lot of it that is designed to kind of work between people. There are very few collaborative internet of things solutions obviously outside of your household with multiple members in it that's kind of it mm. there's i suppose there might be some in like private businesses or something or the such yeah but like kind of public collaborative stuff yeah connecting public things it's not happened so much yet it's so not. i suppose 
I mean, j literally just saying that, something that, you know, could arise is maybe, you know, smartphone systems, apps and stuff like that, that can can connect you to the whole transport network, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a good kind of segue onto smart cities, because these networks of interconnectivity between all the infrastructure that makes a society work, specifically transport and traffic, but kind of everything. Um, this was from a few years ago now, so this actually might be slightly out of date, but um, Barcelona apparently put a lot of effort into sort of internet of things in their their city a while back. Um, so they have smart streetlights, which, you know, they can, they know when they're needed to be used and they can sort of turn off when they're not needed, I suppose. Maybe it's, I, it didn't give full details, but I'm guessing it's something to do with light sensors and all these different things. But apparently it saved saved them Thirty-seven million dollars per year on energy by having these. That's a huge number on energy. Yeah, and not to even include what that would mean for the environment. Oh, exactly. Yeah, this is that's another thing that we could, you know, go into is the fact that basically Internet of Things is making stuff more efficient. It's that's what it's about. It's making stuff more efficient, more productive, um, and more connected. Yeah, smart thermostats are a big part of that. Yeah, well, you see a lot of you know energy companies nowadays promoting the smart meters and that's sort of tying into these things it's more about tracking exactly your energy use but as soon as there's something that's tracking your energy use you can then convert that data into something which can manage it a bit better yes and even so there are still options that for instance as you leave the house it knows what your schedule is and turns off the heat and you don't have to manage that manually anymore mm. Uh, there was a group of students who I knew, very kind of broad way of introducing this, who were working on an Internet of Things-based rubbish collect collection system. So essentially what it was is they were embedding little sensors into public bins, and they would just say when they were starting to get full. So instead of uh, the rubbish networks in, it was in a small city kind of south of Oakland, uh, instead of them having to stop and check every single bin, they knew which ones needed che checking and replacing, basically. Hmm. Yeah, that's... It's a cool usage. It's all these little things that sort of add up in this sort of sense, isn't it? They do, yeah. Because as, as, soon as, as soon as these bin collection companies know exactly where these bins are filling up quicker, once they've got that data, they can build it into more of a bigger database to say, okay, that area seems to build up more rubbish quicker than this area. And they can sort of begin to connect things through that way. You're very right. You're very right. It's about, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's this whole information collection, I suppose. Now, you'd mentioned agriculture, and there's something I'd like to say on this specifically. Um, but what had your research kind of given you? I mean, it's, it wasn't a huge amount of depth, but there was also quite a lot of discussions around like vertical farms and indoor farms that this can tie into mm. because those are places where it's much more technology focused and that's that's it's an interesting talking point that's starting to sort of rise up a bit at the moment of you know how can we feed people and keep our food more local and oftentimes people are turning to these solutions where it's you know growing food in a much more I suppose scientific and technological environment rather than a compact environment. Yeah. Compacting it down, having it on layers and layers of kind of rock wool rather than big open fields. 
Yeah. Um, I know the big kind of usage of this that I'm aware of is in developing countries, a lot of smart agriculture has kind of attempted to be introduced. Just monitoring water levels, temperature, acidity, it makes people's jobs a lot easier, um, especially when they have a lot of land and different things and plants and animals being grown to deal with. It allows them to focus their efforts based on kind of where it's most needed and also get analytics into what's going wrong. So obviously global food shortages will be a severe issue, and this is one fairly easy step that can be taken to finding out the most efficient and energy environmental kind of best ways to do it yeah actually that reminded me as well of something else that i'd seen which i suppose sort of links into this sort of thing uh for the developing countries and it was a software that was developed by ibm who are of course very at the forefront of internet of things stuff and it was something that they developed with a sort of national park in Africa somewhere where obviously they have issues with poachers and they basically developed this whole system because these the sort of guards of this national park couldn't keep a track of the whole park it's 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 enormous there's no way they can yeah. do it so they've set up this system where basically they've put trackers on most species that are in the park you know, small collars or little little trackers and all these sort of things. And basically, from a map sort of view, they can then see the movement of all of these animals. So they can pinpoint where the poachers are based on the dispersion or the running away of all these, these animals. And it then allows the kind of patrolling guards to quickly move in on that area. That is a perfect example of this technology. I know that's actively used in Kenya, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's used much, much more further afield. Yeah, it was Africa. I can't remember the the country, so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. There are definitely many uses of that. Uh, a similar one that I know of and actually experienced kind of firsthand, I got to see how it worked, was up in an area of Kenya called Lycipia. They have collars on the most prominent members of a pride of lions which means they can essentially track the entire group and they distribute that information to farmers so it makes sure that when people are grazing their cattle they keep them away from areas where the lion are now conflict between cattle and lion is high and a lot of farmers really struggle already you know they're struggling and losing a cow is huge so this managed to reduce that by a very large factor to the point where there were almost no incidents yeah that's it it really shows the kind of length that these technologies and this whole connectivity can go to to really help so many aspects of life yeah absolutely going back to the whole interconnectivity of things and we've sort of briefly mentioned um hackers already but there is a sort of concern and a danger with connecting in this way in privacy obviously yes definitely privacy is one of the biggest issues and you can eliminate it fairly easily but if you don't you run huge risks yeah and the issue with privacy is that there's going to be a never-ending battle between the people trying to build the privacy and the people trying to break it it you know the technologies keep on going keep on going on both sides but this is the same sort of likelihood of hacking i suppose but it could mean that the costs of you know the hacker winning i suppose could be greater if everything is connected 
That's very true. And it does make you think, you know, do we need do we need to be slower, I suppose, on this uptake of this technology to make sure that when it does get put into place, it's much more secure? I think what's probably most important is that we really, and this is just a general opinion of mine, but also something I think is very true, is that as long as privacy remains at the forefront of the people creating these technologies, as well as us as consumers, it will be naturally developed into something strong. But we have to stay really quite vigilant as to making sure that happens. Yes, because, I mean, as we spoke about in our last episode about data privacy, sometimes these companies don't put that first. Exactly. Uh, And similarly, I know the US government recently has been pushing towards banning encryption because it would allow them to very easily kind of get information on national security threats, child molesters, all those kind of things, which of course are serious problems. But at the same time, if the government blocks encryption, or if they're the ones who are allowed in, basically if the government can get into anything, then anyone can. Yeah, because the government is not normally the top of technology. They're never the forefront of anything. So it's a similar concept here, where if you build a technology that just because the people who made it think it's foolproof, it doesn't mean it's foolproof. Yes, exactly. And if there's a collective vigilance between everyone to make sure that what they're using is private and secure to themselves, possibly even beyond the level they really need, then it will ensure that these things are safe for everyone. Yeah. And there is an ownership on, I suppose, the designers who are and inventors that are making this stuff to make sure that they do get it right because the general population, A, doesn't understand it and B, doesn't have time to understand all these technicalities a lot of the time. So it's there is a yeah. lot of ownership on, on the creators to make sure that they are ensuring these that the general public is safe for these technologies to exist, basically. It's a very important onus on them that, quite honestly, they don't always stand up to. No, and that it does wander sort of back into our previous episode and the legal side of things. And, you know, is this stuff going to have to be regulated for it to be ensured that it's safe? Yes. At the same time, we want to keep this positive. We do. The Internet of Things overall is bringing an amazing kind of new generation of interconnected technology and the fact that it's been around for a while and is only beginning to seriously be embraced now is a good sign because it's had time to kind of develop and go through a lot of their issues yes and although there are a lot of cases of its use that just don't make sense i'm talking to you smart fridges you know it will get to a point where we whittle away the weird side pieces that don't matter and focus on actually kind of improving lives as a whole Yep. And as as you said, there is so many aspects of this which can be hugely positive. And it actually just reminded me of something which is extremely current to, you know, the situation that we're all currently living through with this um, at the time of this recording. And that is that I believe that many countries are doing this, but in the UK, some of the top hospitals and workers from there have actually created an app which just the general public can download, put in sort of where they live. And every day you can just go on and report whether you've had any symptoms of COVID-19. And this all collects data to help track what's happening in this crisis. 
and that's sort of in a way internet of things yes there's a bit more human input but that's because it's been developed so kind of quick response but it, it's a similar the way sort of it's way. being handled on the nhs level inside of it will be quite internet of thingsy yeah it's just the general public inputting the data and it's kind of managing it and tracking it and you yeah, know that's definitely that's clearly a fantastic use of this technology that we have and it will hopefully make a difference. You'd hope so. And I'm sure, I'm sure it is making a difference. I don't know the ins and outs to know, but I'm sure it is. I believe so too. So, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers, and fellow self-isolators. Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts have no algorithm and we rely entirely on your word of mouth. Yep, so follow us on Instagram at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show and our own work, including behind the scenes, outtakes, projects and updates. Although admittedly, with us all being stuck at the moment, there might not be that much to go on behind the scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it among your friends and fellow quarantiners. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Also, stay safe, stay at home, eat good food, do something new. Get some exercise. Get some exercise. Goodbye. Thank you for listening.